0: The war on drugs was declared in 1971 by President Richard Nixon in a press conference that went on to outline a plan to fight the trade of controlled substances across the world. Drugs were declared America's public enemy number one. Since then over 1 trillion dollars have been spent on fighting this battle and by all metrics it's been money poorly spent. It's probably no surprise to anyone that drug related deaths and crimes have done nothing but rise over the 50 years since Nixon made this declaration. With the benefit of hindsight it was pretty easy to see why. You can't fight the forces of supply and demand in unregulated markets with M16s and government agents. Trying to do so would be like trying to fight a hurricane by dropping bombs on it. Not particularly effective and if anything it's just going to cause even more collateral damage. But perhaps this is all starting to change. Just last week during the election the people of Oregon also voted on something else that will potentially have even more influence than who the next president is. The people of the state voted to decriminalize drugs all drugs, even the really hard stuff. This might look like waving the white flag in defeat and finally admitting that drugs have won the war on drugs, but it might also be what we should have been doing all along, fighting the war on drugs with economics. To understand what economists mean by this we are going to need to look at a few key areas. Why couldn't the war on drugs disrupt the drug market? What is driving the growth in this market? And Could legalization provide a better solution to dealing with this issue? Now big disclaimer time, in no way do we advocate or encourage the use of any type of drugs outside of medicinal purposes, but we also realize that people are people and they're going to do what they're going to do, but even still drugs are bad Okay, okay. This episode of economics explained and all episodes like it on spicier, less advertiser friendly content would not have been possible if it wasn't for our amazing supporters on patreon. Please consider supporting the channel so we can continue to cover exciting topics like these while also gaining access to a range of really cool benefits like our exclusive Q&A's which are held every saturday. So head on over to patreon.com slash economics explained. Now of course drugs are a big issue around the world. They bring in hundreds of billions of dollars that will go on to fund unscrupulous organizations that peddle them and they also cause untold misery to the people that abuse them and the communities affected by them. But here's the thing, the images that spring into your mind when you think of drug dealing are probably the result of their illegality. In the 1890s, Sears published a catalogue that included an offer to purchase cocaine for $1.50. This was being sold with less regulation than cough syrups have today. The public consensus gradually started to shift over the next decades, culminating in prohibition of alcohol being introduced in 1919. At this time, a bottle of beer was more illegal than heroin. The same was true for things like marijuana, which had a federal tax placed on it in 1937 but was still perfectly legal to hold so long as that tax was paid. Over time more and more controls were put into place to try and curtail perceived social issues caused by drug abuse. This all started to escalate in the 1960s where recreational drug use was becoming more and more widespread, particularly amongst groups that were opposed to the ideologies of then president Nixon who introduced the controlled substances act. This is the act that is primarily responsible for the modern image that drugs have. Before this dealing in controlled substances was akin to running an underground casino or trading in counterfeit goods. It was still bad, it was still illegal, but didn't quite carry the same weight that felony drug charges do today, both legally speaking and in the public conscience. Nonetheless, these laws were put into place and they stuck around a lot longer than the president who introduced them, which weirdly enough probably caused more problems than it solved by trying to squeeze the supply. The basis of any market in economics is supply and demand, hopefully this doesn't come as a huge shock to anybody watching an economics explained video, but now you know. We can actually graph this out when we consider the quantity and the price of a good. The supply line will slope upwards because naturally the more an item sells for the more that people will be willing to sell. The opposite is true for demand. Naturally items at higher price levels will have fewer people that are willing to and able to purchase them. Where these two lines cross over is the market equilibrium which in theory tells an economist how much an item will sell for and how much of that item will be sold. Now the war on drugs completely ignores the basic lesson learned by this simple little graph, the same graph that's taught in every economics 101 class. You see the demand for drugs, especially highly addictive hard drugs is relatively inelastic. What this means is that the people that are buying these substances will continue to buy them no matter how expensive they get, within reason. We can graph this out here and it makes our demand line go from looking like this to looking like this. The reason this is so important is because historically the proverbial war on drugs has done very little to influence this demand, preferring instead to go after the supply of drugs. Government agencies like the DEA, local law enforcement and customs work very hard to take drugs out of supply by busting down doors, arresting suppliers, and confiscating the contraband. Billions of dollars are spent every year on this process and that is to say nothing of the money that is spent on prisons all across the United States. Go and watch our video on the economies of prisons to find out more about that. The big issue with this supply side attack though is that while it makes the general public feel good about busting bad guys, it creates a terrible market failure. All of these busts around the country work to reduce supply. They might not reduce it by much, that's really anybody's guess, but they do reduce it nonetheless. This drop in supply will naturally increase the price of goods in this market which would normally reduce the total amount consumed, but as we saw earlier the demand for drugs doesn't really change that much with the price. So the total quantity of drugs on the street is reduced a little bit by the direct intervention and a little bit through normal demand fall off. But this impact is pretty minimal and all it really achieves is making these illicit goods more expensive, increasing the revenue of the organisations involved in this trade. Now the business savvy amongst you will note that sure, revenue has increased, but that doesn't mean that their profits have increased. All of the money and effort they put into getting around these new government agencies costs a lot of money and carries a lot of risk for those involved. Getting caught peddling controlled substances before the 1970s was bad, but it carried a heavy fine and maybe a year or so in prison depending on the quantities involved. After the 1970s though, getting caught with a felony quantity of a schedule 1 drug was a one way ticket to federal pound you in the ass prison for a minimal sentence, measured in years rather than in months. This meant that operators throughout the entire supply chain demanded more compensation to make the risk reward trade off work in their favour. Now all in all, it still sounds like this is hurting these organisations, and it sort of is, but you see it is actually better for this revenue to be turned into profit which can be harmlessly spent on villas and sports cars rather than being fed into expenses like intricate smuggling operations, arming gang members and cutting supply with nastier substances to eke back more profit on this high cash flow business. Higher prices, will also mean that consumers of these products will need to earn more money to fuel this addiction which will inevitably increase the prevalence of crimes like petty theft, muggings and robberies. The problem is that one outcome looks bad politically, nobody wants to see some drug lord on a new mega yacht, even if the money was better spent there than arming their subordinates. The second outcome definitely causes more problems for society though, however it has the optics of looking like something is being done. Look at us guys, if this is a war then it's one that has been fought hard. So far the entire premise of this fight has been built on a perverse version of say's law. You might have heard this phrase, supply creates its own demand, which was a theory in classical economics that the production of goods gave income to people to go out and spend on other goods. A furniture maker who makes more and more couches can make more and more money. go out and buy steak dinners or jet skis or whatever. So if you wanted to increase demand for anything you just increase supply of anything else and hey presto everyone is better off. So if you wanted to reduce all of the nastiness caused by drugs, reduce supply because reduce supply reduces demand bada bing bada boom problem solved. Well no, Say's law has time and time again been rejected by most modern economists for a wide variety of reasons. The easiest way to disprove this theory is that it ignores the fact that people can save money. That furniture maker might choose to save all of that extra money he's making from all of those extra couches and then suddenly they can't afford those steak dinners or jet skis or whatever. Trying to influence a market or an economy from the supply side is going to have limited effectiveness and just cause a whole lot of negative externalities. So perhaps the solution is simple, let's give up fighting the supply and instead reduce the demand. The 1971 message to congress outlining the war on drugs included a very detailed plan about devoting more federal resources to the prevention of new addicts and the rehabilitation of those who were addicted. This of course did not get nearly as much media attention at the time, partially because it was seen as a slightly weak stance on criminals and partially because it was a lot more boring than fighting public enemy number one like Rambo. Because of this, government spending on reducing demand through treatment and education has only attracted 1% of the total spending in the war on drugs. Now advocates of direct action will note that law enforcement operations naturally cost more money than making videos about how drugs are bad, so it's only natural that these operations will attract a larger share of this total spending. But perhaps this is actually part of the point. Getting the same return for less of an investment is just good business, if anything this should be an argument for curtailing demand rather than supply. The problem is, the demand side might be a losing battle as well. The use of prescription opiates in the united states has increased by over 300% in the last two decades, which is introducing a new pool of customers into a market for highly addictive substances. Detailing demand through education and treatment can be effective, but it's nowhere near effective enough to hold back that sort of direct increase in demand, especially when people are being given these prescriptions by doctors and not by some bad man on the street. This spike in prescription drug sales has almost perfectly coincided with a rise in opioid related deaths as people look to continue their prescription by substituting it for stronger, less regulated alternatives. When we look at our demand and supply graph again, this wave of new users introduced through prescription drugs massively increases demand, and while supply does not always create its own demand, you better believe that demand creates its own supply. This is where Oregon comes back in. By decriminalizing all drugs the state has effectively taken most of the downwards pressure off supply. Now the logical fear here is that drug peddlers have just been given the keys to the city to do whatever they want, but this is probably not true for two reasons. The first reason is that there will still be laws in place for high level dealers. So don't be going out role playing Walter White in Oregon, you will still go to prison. It also must be noted that even for personal supplies, controlled substances are still against the law, they just don't carry criminal penalties. Think of this as the difference between blowing a stop sign and engaging in a high speed police pursuit. Now the second reason is a little bit more complex. Even if we were to assume the worst case scenario where criminal organizations were allowed to go about their merry way with no intervention from law enforcement at all, this is just going to increase supply. An increase in supply will make these drugs cheaper, but here's the thing, the same type of stubborn price inelasticity that was hurting the war effort could also be a huge help by adopting this strategy. In the same way that an existing addict is going to do whatever is necessary to pay for their drugs no matter how expensive they are, an otherwise unaffected person is not really going to wake up one morning, look at the prices on controlled substances and go, oh man, there has never been a better time to take up meth. Again, demand is just not affected by price in this way for these products. And maybe this is the biggest part of the whole process, big money causes big problems. The direct war on drugs costs an estimated 50 billion dollars every year, but on top of that there is the cost involved in housing prisoners serving time for drug related offences, the costs involved in prosecuting these offences. The cost borne to society through petty crimes to fund the purchase of these drugs, the cost of healthcare, the cost of losing working taxpayers to addiction, the list goes on. This entire battle is great at burning money. Oregon and other advocates of a demand side approach hope that this system will work to balance the books. When this law is rolled out next year, anybody caught with a controlled substance will be given an option, either pay a $100 fine or attend a drug counselling seminar. The fines will help to offset some of the costs of these treatment seminars, and it will also avoid the massive costs of housing people in jail and prison. The state will also be investing the money it raises from the taxation of marijuana sales to fund programs that will help alleviate the burdens caused by these drugs. This model is very similar to a select group of European countries, primarily the Netherlands and Portugal, which have adopted similar policies around combating demand rather than combating supply. In fact, Portugal might be the biggest overlooked success story here amongst all of this. In 2001 the nation was in the grip of a dire heroin epidemic, far worse even than the United States today where around 1% of the population were addicted users. The nation took this decriminalization route and in the two decades since drug overdoses in the country have fallen to the second lowest in all of Europe, all while saving a lot of money. Drugs are bad and they do all manner of harm to the individuals that use them as well as their friends, families, communities and economies, all while funding the types of enterprises that are happy to disregard the strict laws currently in place. The war on drugs may or may not have been started with the best intentions out there, but by all metrics it is a war that has been lost. Continuing to waste billions of dollars a year, all while pushing victims to the fringes of society has shown itself time and time again To be a plan that does not make sense socially, economically and finally after decades, politically. Slapping handcuffs on bad guys no doubt feels great, especially after witnessing the suffering that they have caused, but these are not the enemies in this war. The war on drugs is a war on market forces and unfortunately that is a war that no amount of money or manpower is going to win. Hi guys, I hope you enjoyed the latest video, if you did please consider liking and subscribing. This video is made possible by our patrons over on patreon, so if you enjoy these video please consider supporting the channel like these awesome people did. Thanks guys, bye.